Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. The question that immediately arises from our gospel lesson today is this. Has John's faith weakened? The church fathers, for the most part, have a consensus that John's disciples were the ones actually asking the question, not John himself. And Luther, uh, Dr. Luther also agreed with that. I guess their concern was that um, John the baptizer, being a great prophet and more, being the Elijah who was to come, must not have ever expressed any doubts concerning his faith. And that if you understand this question to come from John, as the text makes clear, it comes from John, then John the Baptist would, must have experienced a crisis of faith. The commentary I read from Richard Lenski, uh, in that he points out that prophets diligently inquired of the Messiah, not out of a lack of faith, but out of a lack of responsibility and duty. He refers to 1 Peter 10, uh, 1 Peter 1, sorry, uh, which says, concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It's kind of a mouthful, but the point is, they inquired diligently, when will the Christ come? When will these things happen? What will the signs be? These are things that the prophets, these are questions that the prophets embraced and inquired diligently. So actually, we shouldn't look at this as John the Baptist lacking faith, but actually just inquiring diligently. If we apply that concept to him, then John the Baptist is being a dutiful prophet. John's faith is evidenced in the response that Jesus gave, though, when you think about it. Jesus did not simply respond, yeah, I'm the one. I mean, would that have helped if he had answered that way? Yeah, I'm the one. A direct answer. Actually, that would have been a different response. That's actually a different answer because what he said was a lot more than, yeah, I'm the one. Actually, to say, yes, I'm the one would have been an academic response to an intellectual question. You know, uh, are you the one? Check yes or no. Like the notes, you know, that you pass along to a girl back in grade school. You know, are you the one? Check yeah, or not. Are you the one? But <laughs> do you like me? Check yes or no. You know. No. (laughs) But rather, Jesus uh, provides an answer that could only be received by faith. See, he demonstrates that John does not lack faith. John has faith. So he answers him according to his faith. Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight and the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear and the dead are raised up and the poor have good news preached to them. You see that is that uh, you see that in this response, uh, Jesus is telling John to look at the scriptures. 
Uh, specifically, you can see from our Old Testament lesson today, Isaiah 35. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. So Jesus' response is saying that all of these things prophesied by Isaiah are now coming to pass. Furthermore, from Isaiah 61, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. Another prophecy being fulfilled in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Therefore, in Jesus' answer to John's disciples, he calls on them to consider the testimony of Scripture. You ask if I am the, one, the coming one or if another is to come? Well, consider the testimony of Scripture. He pushes them back to Scripture and says, consider and believe, trust in, in the Word of God. To believe with faith. It's not an academic answer to a skeptic, but it is an answer to a faithful believer. And going back to that question, I I think, you know, the question of did John really say this or was it his disciples? Well, it's really a canard. I mean, it's 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 buying the premise that the question itself is some sort of admission of doubt. That's not it. It's not an admission of doubt. Well, you might ask, well, if John believed, why did he ask the question in the first place? I want to recall, I want you to recall that when Jesus came to John the Baptist to be baptized, do you remember John's answer? I, John said, I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? So it's clear that although John knew Jesus to be the Messiah, he knew Jesus to be, as he said, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. At the same time, he may not have fully understood how the Messiah's mission was to unfold and how the the kingdom of heaven reigns on earth. Now, I got to stop there and repeat that. John the baptizer may not have fully understood how exactly the kingdom of heaven reigns on earth. That, I think, gets to the real question here. How does the kingdom of heaven reign on earth? In Jesus' response, he's pointing to the scriptures to show John that the scriptures are being fulfilled in the person and work of Jesus Christ, but he is also revealing what the reign of heaven on earth looks like. Well, so how, what does it look like? What does the reign of heaven on earth look like? Well, the blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, the poor have good news preached to them. That's what the kingdom of heaven looks like. The reign of heaven looks like Jesus Christ loving and caring for human beings, for sure. Healing giving sight to the blind, making the lame to walk, giving hearing to the deaf, and so forth. Moreover, working faith in those who are poor in spirit, giving eyes of faith to see God's salvation, 
Ultimately, the reign of heaven on earth looks like Jesus Christ suffering and dying on a cross for your sins. Thus, he says, blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Of course, the gospel is is an offense to our human nature. We want to earn our way. We want to earn our keep, our pride and our self-respect. Makes us not want a handout. We want to climb that ladder to heaven on our own. Just give me what I've worked for. As we read this morning in our Bible study from 1 Corinthians 1, for the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. When you consider the awesome deeds of God performed over the earth, just think about that. What has God done and how has he acted in the history of humanity. The flood, the Tower of Babel, scattering people everywhere, giving them a different language. Think about how he called Abraham, how he allowed the Israelites to be taken captive in Egypt, and then how he brought them up out of Egypt by a mighty hand, parting the waters, exercising command and control over creation, imposing, if you will, imposing himself on creation. Indeed, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. That's Psalm 24. Christ did that too. He exercised dominion. He he calmed the storm. But in Christ, there's something different happening, something which even the great John the baptizer did not see or did not appear to see. The Messiah would not conquer the world in a way of imposing himself on the world by a great and mighty show of power, at least not in his first coming. The Messiah would not conquer the world, no, He would instead submit to the world by coming to the world in the incarnation. A true man subject to the world's sin, subject to hunger, subject to cold, to pain, and even to death. This is the reign of heaven on earth. I want to go back now to Isaiah 61, which is the referent for the phrase from the gospel, the poor have the good news preached to them. And listen to these words from Isaiah. The spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. This is good news. Liberty to the captives. We who were slaves to sin are no longer. We have liberty. 
We who were imprisoned to Satan and his condemnation of us as sinners, unworthy of God's grace, we are unbound in Christ. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. This makes sense that Christ is the propitiation for our sins. You can see how John the Baptist had a hard time seeing this. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. It's another passage from Romans. For while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. That's us. We're the ungodly whom Christ died for. Remember, like we talked about yesterday, we don't put ourselves way up here and all the rest of the world is way down here. We don't do that. We are all ungodly. But in Christ, we are made perfect. We presently await our Savior's return. When he returns, the whole world will know it. There's no mystery then. All the world will be judged, and it will be a great and awesome day, a terrifying day for those who are not in Christ. Meanwhile, while we wait his return, The reign of heaven on earth continues. Oh, really? I see so much suffering around. How does the reign of heaven on earth continue? Well, it continues in the preaching of the gospel, of the good news, that in Christ, your sins are put away from you, that in Christ, you are forgiven. It continues in the absolution of sin. Standing instead and by the command of Christ, I forgive you your sins. That absolution is the reign of heaven on earth because it crushes Satan's power to accuse. It continues in the blessed sacrament that we receive where you receive the forgiveness of sins. To the world, this appears illogical, perhaps foolish. Well, certainly foolish, because that's what the scripture tells us. This is foolishness to the world. The world will not receive this because it is spiritually discerned. You're dead, John, so you lose. That would be the world's view of this. No, that's not true. Famine, disease, murder may take away this mortal body, but the reign of heaven comes in the shed blood of Jesus Christ by which he has atoned for your sins and for the sins of the whole world. And as Jesus said, blessed are you who have been given eyes and ears of faith to see and hear this good news and to receive it for your salvation. Receive it, believe it, trust it. Going back to John's question, that's ultimately what Jesus was saying. John I know you're in prison, suffering. There's an irony, you know, where he says uh, soft clothing. People that wear soft clothing are in, are in, uh, pal- are in king- king's houses, palaces. Yeah, John was in the king's palace. He was just in the dungeon. He was in prison there. And he wasn't wearing soft clothing. He was wearing a camel hair shirt. Jesus' response to him is, 
Continue to trust. Continue to believe. Even when we can't connect all the dots. Even when we don't know. Even when things look bleak. That doesn't mean God has separated his love from us. He has not. So we turn to him in faith and trust. Even in the worst of times. And we're consoled and we're comforted. Because Jesus died for our sins. The peace of God which passes all understanding, keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus.